Yo, everybody, welcome to the Ednian Podcast, where we have real conversations with the amazing talent in Denver's backyard to inform the system and change the game for the next generation. I hope you're thriving. Let's go. What's good, everybody? Hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone is thriving. Thank you for tuning in. Switching up the intro here a little bit, just to make sure you got some context into the series. Um, As some of you may know, in November, there's an important election coming up in Denver. Uh, Voters will be casting their ballots to see who will be representing our communities on the Denver Public Schools Board of Education. Uh, This year, there's three different seats open, uh, District 1, District 5, as well as an at-large seat. And as always, we're here to build spaces to have real authentic connection, real authentic conversation, understand these candidates' vision for the district, the vision for our communities, as well as who they are as people. Um, More than anything, we hope that this sparks some deeper questions for you as you think about who you're going to vote for. And most importantly, know that we are not endorsing any candidate. We've reached out to every single candidate and asked them all to come down and, and sit with us and share some game with us and share who they are. Um, So I do hope that this gives you a better sense um, and hopefully some more insight that you wouldn't typically get from candidates as they're on the campaign trail. Um, Now, special, super uh, important announcement for us uh, is that support for this podcast series comes from the Denver Foundation. Now, through gifts of cash and stocks or more complex assets, the Denver Foundation helps generous donors get the most from their giving. Uh, More than anything, they you know, invest in our communities. They help people be able to invest in our communities. And we appreciate them for investing in our collective vision at Ednium. Uh, Super excited. We're coming up, y'all. And uh, with nothing more to say, let's get this thing rolling. Peace. And we're live. Good afternoon, man. What's up? How's how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Moving and grooving out here as I see you are too, you know. Busy man. Busy man. Well, you know, but I'm having fun, which, which is actually all that matters. Like when you are doing something that you feel strongly about. Yeah and you're having fun, time just flies by. That's that's kind of what I say about Ednium too. Like, it's busy all the time. We're always on the phone. We're always cooking. We're moving. But then, like, you get these, like, uh, we had the basketball tournament not too long ago, a couple weekends ago. Okay. And it was like, I was not invited to the basketball tournament. Everybody was invited okay. to the basketball tournament. Okay. Were you going to hoop? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I'm like, yo, we're going to have a... We're going to have a, like a celebrity, like three point contest or something like that, just to kind of keep people engaged. So we'll make awesome. sure you get that. Awesome. Invite. You'll have a school board member there. Yep. There you go. Uh, tell the people who we're talking to. Sure. Uh, my name is Kwame Spearman. Uh, I am a proud Denver native. More importantly, I'm the son of a teacher and I am running for the at-large school board seat in uh, Denver public schools. Yes, sir. So just give the, a big part of the reason why we use this podcast is because we feel like campaign trails, forums, like we, you know, we're going to be supporting on a forum as well, but it doesn't allow for a lot more like nuanced understanding of who the person is, what their story was, what their journey was to this point. What's your story, man? Let the people know kind of who you are, where you come from. How'd you get here? Sure. I mean, I always like to tell people I am everything I am because of my Denver public school education. And what I mean by that is twofold. First, you know, I'm a graduate of Denver Public Schools, you know, K through 12. And the experiences that I had ranging from teachers who not only saw me, but mentored and supported me to the friendships amongst diverse individuals that I made and experience to what I learned propelled me 
really for the rest of my life. And I think when I was in college and grad school and, and during my professional career, I've always felt like I had sort of a secret sauce. That secret sauce was DPS. The other reason why I say that is because, you know, I come from a family of educators, mm -hmm. right? So my great-grandfather you know, he was in Texas and he was actually the principal of a segregated school in Crockett, Texas. And his, mm. his daughter, my grandmother, um, got her PhD in Columbia in education and went back to Texas mm. to work for the, the segregated school system there. But most importantly, and, you know, the reason why I say DPS is my mom has been with Denver Public Schools for 38 years. Mm, she, yeah. So she, she worked as a teacher. Um, as a principal and as an assistant superintendent. And so not only did I experience DPS as a student, but a lot of my family's stability and success mm. was derived through Denver Public Schools. And I was able to grow up with a mom who was really getting her own confidence mm. from the district. And, mm. and I just think how that has shaped, you know, my views on, you know, why we need women in top leadership positions and just the ability of strong women. That's all through Denver Public Schools. So so I, I really I really always want to tell people that, you know, if you want to know about me, you gotta know about DPS. And and the takeaway, final thing I'll say is that there's no one who believes in our public school system more than I do. Mm. And it's it's never been perfect, probably won't ever be. But at its core, when you walk into every single classroom across the district, you see students who are trying to learn, teachers who are trying to teach, and an educational system that is striving to put forth the best possible outcomes. And and I will always believe that about Denver Public Schools. Yeah, yeah. So you went, I know you, you're, you're a halo, right? You're East Angel. I, I am an East Angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the other schools you went to? I went to Montclair Elementary, okay. uh, Smiley Middle School, now yep. known as McAuliffe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, East East High. <laughs> and so when you, I know like a little bit about your story. Obviously, you've been on this podcast before back during your tattered cover, tattered cover days. But how have you seen the district change? Like from your perspective, from being a student to maybe leaving, going off to college, doing other things, and then coming back, like. Not only, I guess, the school district, but the city as a whole. Yeah, really good question. I mean, I, uh, and I guess you can't see this because it's a podcast, but w when I was growing up, we still had busing. And mm. I'm saying normally when I say that to people, <laughs> they see that I'm bald and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I see that. But, you know, I was bused up until middle school. Mm. And, you know, I grew up more or less across the street from an elementary school that I didn't go to. Mm. And so... I've seen a lot of changes mm -hmm. in the district. Um, and a lot of those changes are reflective of the city generally. You know, Denver has always had really strong neighborhoods. And I think the biggest change over the past sort of 30 years is, you know, our, our neighborhoods have always been amazing. Um, a lot of our neighborhoods have been segregated. Mm -hmm. And so what busing did is it had neighborhood schools that had diverse populations. And as I was in middle school and going into high school and we got rid of busing, you know, what you started seeing was the neighborhood school reflected the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so that meant that there were some, you know, really, really fantastic um fantastically funded uh, mm -hmm. schools and then schools that, you know, weren't as fantastically funded and sort of how the city has been griping with that, yeah. uh, I think is, is the biggest thing that I've evolved and, and really starting to understand, you know, if you've got 
this notion of what success looks like mm-hmm. and how do we ensure that success doesn't look like an upper middle class white student's journey mm-hmm. throughout the district? Because if that's what success looks like, then suddenly there are schools and neighborhoods that embody that. And mm-hmm. then you get into this whole path of, you know, is the desire for everyone to go to those schools and be in those neighborhoods? And yeah. what does that look like? So I'd say in short, and this is why it's so great to be on these sort of long form uh, conversations, I'd say the change is how we are functioning with our neighborhoods in the school district as we are now, what, 25, 30 years removed from our busing. Yeah. The school choice thing, for the exact reason that you put, right? Like, okay, cool. You get rid of school choice. We understand there seems to always be trade-offs in whatever policies we make, right? Which I wish more people would just understand. It's like, totally. you're never going to have everything. But there is that there is that tension around, we know our neighborhoods are segregated. So then you you say neighborhood schools, okay, dope. But then what does the neighborhood look like? And we, you know, it all has to be working together. We need to have these, these collaborations. But you touched on something that we ask everybody around their definition of success. And before we get into about the district, like for you, how do you feel your definition of success has changed and evolved over time? Um, how do you define success now? How did you define success when you were that East Angel back in the day? Yeah, it's it, it's evolved a lot. Um, you know, when I was an East Angel, you know, success was getting that gold star, mm-hmm. right? Getting the A on the paper, going to a really good college. Um, I was a speech and debate kid, so mm-hmm. winning. <laughs> yeah. um, And what it's evolved to now is I think success is a combination of two things. One, it's the ability to be a productive and supportive member of the community. And secondly, really finding your inner excellence, Hmm. right? Understanding what you are game-changingly good at Mm -hmm. and and using that to evoke confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I fundamentally believe every person who is blessed to live on this planet is excellent in some way, shape, or form. And the journey is really understanding that excellence. Um, And so I think that's the biggest change. And that kind of goes into maybe what your question was, is like what my definition of success looks like and what success for for Denver Public Schools is. You know, when I was in high school, and understandably so, Success was defined by going to college, mm. straight up. Yep. And if you were not going to college, you were not viewed as successful. Yep. Um, and I'm I'm happy that's changing because mm-hmm. I think that the role of a school district is to prepare its graduates mm-hmm. to be functional members of society. And one thing I can tell you, <laughs> there are a lot of folks who are in trades, yeah, man, who are entrepreneurs, yep. who by what a lot of people would view as traditional metrics of success, whether that's money or lifestyle or how big of a company they own and operate, they're pretty darn successful. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, that's something the district is evolving to, really removing the stigma away from those who do, who decide not immediately to go to a four-year college university. And I think that's a, that's the right direction for us to go. Yeah. No, I feel you. I think, a big part of the reason we started at the end was like, one, it's like, yo, we know more than half of our DPS students aren't going to college. So like a lot of what we're working on in that was like, okay, cool. So then what are we building for them? You know what I mean? And very totally. quickly you kind of get into this, you know, college, non-college. We know historically there has been tracking and all this, but we're saying a big part of what we're hearing from students is that they don't have an opportunity to explore. Right. 
And so what happens is even the quote unquote successful ones that have figured out how to check all the boxes, have to have, you know, did really well at the multiple choice test, went to college, did all of that. They leave and they're like, yo, I did everything you said I was supposed to and I'm still struggling. Why? And a big part of our thing is saying, you know, how do we know? The answer is no. But the question is, like, do we know what's happening to our students after they leave our school system? How many of our DPS graduates, you know, have an income that allows them to live in Denver? How many of them have quality relationships? Where are they at physically and mentally? Like, we're really trying to figure out, like, if you capture that voice and you start to figure it out, now we can start to work backwards, right, around what's working in education, what's not. And a lot of it's around hope, you feel what I'm saying? And a lot of that hope is tied to, do I have a sense of where I can go? You know what I mean? Beyond this, like, whatever the, the school says is successful for me. And I'm trying to figure out, like, especially from the school board stance, is like, how do we start to build a shared definition of success for our students that's a little bit more broad than what we've historically seen it as? Um, if you were on the board, how would you go about building that shared definition of success? Well, I think we got to start with something you said, which is we, we don't know what happens to our students after they leave Denver Public Schools. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the real question to ask is, do we want to know what happens to our students? <laughs> I think we know the answer to that right yeah, now, too. And, yeah, and I think we need a board that that actually does want to know what yep. happens to our students because I think you're I think you're viewing it the exact right way. You've got to know how good of a job we're doing. And the only way to figure that out is to really understand someone's life after they graduate. Um, I, I think that, you know, my, my view of the world is very much that we've got to have more pathways. One of the things that we've seen over the past 15, 20 years is when you give parents and then later students an opportunity to learn in a manner that is best suited for them, mm -hmm. they learn more. Yeah. It's not a shocking concept. You know, <laughs> when, you, when you take someone who wants to be in the medical profession and they get to experience time at Craig yeah. Hospital, right? Yeah. And they see the amazing work that those individuals are doing over there. And then you bring them back to a school environment. You say, hey, this is why you need to learn geometry. Yep. It makes it real. It makes it real. Yeah. And so for me, it's one... I think you and I are aligned. The, the definition of a successful district is a district that prepares its students to be thriving community members. Yep. The way that we know that we're succeeding or not is let's look at what's happening after people graduate. The way that we influence what people are doing positively after they graduate is they've got to have more pathways. Yes. And those pathways start, you know, really, I mean, as early as elementary school, but they definitely double down when you're in middle school or in high school. Yeah. And how do we then use choice mm -hmm. in a way that allows people to dabble and understand where they want to be? Yeah. Um, and then how do we counteract all that with where we started with, you know, how do we ensure that we still have great schools in every neighborhood? Yeah. There's a lot going on, but, <laughs> but that's the role of the board is to think through those big questions and to guide the district on those issues. A hundred percent, especially if like the board decides like, yo, we really do want to figure that out. Like we're starting that process now, right? With some of the relationships that we're building with the schools, some of our programs. Um, you know, we do these research projects every year with like four schools at a time. And we talk to their seniors and then we talk to some recent alumni as well. And every time we're in these rooms with uh, 
with students, we're ask, we ask them the question, how many of you all know somebody that you would deem successful who came from your school and from your neighborhood? And there's always like one person that like raises their hand. We haven't done East yet, so East might be different, but I know at Lincoln, George, all these things. And we're like, oh, okay, y'all just, y'all don't realize how much brilliance is coming out of this school. You know what I mean? You don't realize that there's people that were in your exact same situation and like try to make that connection and relationship. But it's because schools have a hard time tracking their folks. You know what I mean? But it's like, what inspired you when you were in school to go after the things that you went after? Like, I know it was college and that was what decided a success and you had your family dynamic. But did you have connection with alumni from your school like that? It's a really good question. And I actually think about it a lot. So, I mean, I can't deny, you know, both of my parents are not only college educated, but they have masters. And yeah. so I don't think I ever... Um, disputed the notion that I was going to college. It was just something that was just part of the trajectory in the same mm -hmm. way I never disputed going to high school or middle school or, or whatever. That being said, um, it, it wasn't alumni, actually. It was my friend group. Hmm. You know, and, and I, you know, Smiley, I had amazing teachers at Smiley, um, but I, but I, I can't always argue that you know educational excellence hmm. was on the student body's minds, yeah. and, and I think I played to that right. I, I got, I remember, I got like a D in Spanish or whatever, <laughs> and when I got to East, you know, my mom ensured that I was taking certain types of classes, mm -hmm. and in those classes, I started meeting students who were like. Man, this is what I'm focused on. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've got to go not just to a college, but to the best college. <laughs> yeah. I'm not just going to do well on this test. The only grade mm -hmm. that is acceptable is an A. I'm not just going to join extracurriculars. I'm going to run extracurriculars. Yeah, and, and that environment is contagious. Yeah, and suddenly, before you knew it, those were my expectations. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, if I'm going to take an exam, I'm only going to get an A. If if I'm going to um, do something, I'm going to be at the top of it. And it's, it's fascinating because I look at that moment of being, you know, 14 years old, I don't really understand what is happening. And yet the environment that I'm in mm -hmm. changed my outcome dramatically, yep. dramatically. Yep. And I think about that a lot when I think about our educational environments, because, you know, you got, you got kids, I mean, they're 14, they don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that's the power of a good school district. You can literally change trajectories yep. by creating the proper environment. And at the same time, you know, the wrong environment mm -hmm. can have the same effect just negatively. And and that's an that's an amazingly awesome power. Yeah. No, it's crazy how like just who you're around makes a difference. What's interesting for me is that like the thing that pushed me was almost the opposite. Was I was in environments that, you know, most people will say it was not like the positive, the right one. But there's a lot of those people that were like written off were the ones that saw me and said, nah, you got something different. You need to do something different. Stay away from this. You know what I'm saying? And so there, there seems to be this like collective understanding of the value of it. It's just like whether or not they feel it's attainable for them versus somebody else, right? Sure. Like I have homies that were like, Trey, like you go do this. And they would like brag about me, you know, going to school. And, uh, but then they would always say, oh, we're not you. You know, and it's like, ah, nah, y'all kind of taught me everything I know. Like, <laughs> this could be you too. It's just like, how do you set up those environments where it's about learning, it's about growing, it's about exploration more so than it is, you know, did you get the right test on or score on this thing? 
because you start to see how the system kind of differentiates how they treat people when they're not seen as like an easy win for the system. You know what I mean? And the other thing we've been asking is like, how do schools define success and are they aligned with what students would define as success? And what you described is largely how students would describe success, how schools end up being measured on whether or not they're successful, disattached from that. How do we start to, I'm gonna back up. A lot of these things that we started to use as tools, test scores, attendance, all those things, have almost kind of turned into weapons that a lot of students see. How do we move from that to start really talking about these tools we have to use them as tools in the system as opposed to disciplinary action, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it starts with removing politics from our educational decisions, mm. right? Because unfortunately, what starts to happen is, you know, your response on test scores and, and how you leverage test scores mm -hmm. starts putting you in one camp or the other. And yeah. that's, and once you get to there, you're already in a problem because yeah. once you're in one camp, everything you do, the other camp says there's, they're suspicious <laughs> and they yeah. disagree and, and all of those things. And so I think what we need more than anything is we need pragmatic, um, leaders hmm. who are willing to use data, listen, yep. and just say what's on their mind. Yep. And we need to support those folks because if they, if they win, then they can actually affect change. I mean, for me, I think it's pretty clear that we need a holistic way of evaluating hmm. um, what educational performance looks like and we've got to not deter people from uh, the appearance that a school's not doing as well as yeah. we want. So like my theory of the case is this, if you go back 20 years, right, you know, you are ready to make some game changing um, thoughts with our schools. You're in Denver. We've just, in, we've ended busing. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see that like, you can see with your eyes, some schools are performing better than others, yeah, right? Yeah. And you have a sincere desire to help those schools. Well, what's the best way to do that? You want to try to understand from an equal playing field the data that you're receiving to understand mm -hmm. how much better one school is doing than another. And so what do you do? You test, yeah. right? And you ask everyone the exact same questions and you see the different responses and yeah. you use those responses to make some inferences. I understand that, yeah. um, but I think what it did is a few things. The first is, okay, well, in a, in a choice environment, if you have the knowledge to see that people at one school are doing a lot better than another school, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? Yeah, You're going to try to go to that school. Nature. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you are privileged enough to see that, yep. the likelihood is, is that your, your kid it's probably a kid that is going to do better than worse. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're depriving the school that you were going to send your kid to of the talent and resources that that school needs to be successful. The other thing we're realizing is like, so what is the test showing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what is it, you know, assessing? So, you know, if, if the ACT is your, is your manager is, is, you know, mm -hmm. what you use as success, cool. But the ACT is, pretty much for folks who want to go to college, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And so is that your theory of the case? That's what success lo looks like. Okay, cool, mm -hmm. right? But is that the only version of success? 
So what you got to do is you've got to have a lot of inputs. Mm -hmm. You've got to manage progression. Mm -hmm. Example I always give is, you know, my mom was principal of Columbine Elementary and she took that school and and you see a lot of the the outdatedness of this, but she took a school that was given a grade of an F Mm -hmm. and she moved it up to being a C, which Mm. was so exceptional. She did in like two or three years. No, that's a huge thing. She got governor's award, but think about, think, think about all the dynamics here. One, why are we calling that school an F? Two, she moved it from being an F to a C. Yeah. But if you are an outsider looking in, that school's still a C school. <laughs> and, and and three, like, man, you're missing all of the beautiful things that must have been all happening stuff, in that yeah. environment during that time. And so there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. And, like, for me, it's not – we've been talking a lot, and, again, on this series, people have heard me mention this, like, 50 times, but the concept between inputs, outputs, and outcomes, right? And so going back to our like success definition, we've been saying, all right, cool. All right, we measure success off of test scores. We measure success off of college acceptance. We measure success off of things like attendance or whatever. That's not the outcome though. Those are our outputs of our system. The outcome is what we said earlier. Is that student thriving? Can that student leverage the things that they learned in the in their school system to you know, build a life? Do they have clarity in terms of where they're rolling? And it's like, how do we start to move from a measuring success based off of inputs and outputs to a more outcome oriented thing? Like you said, we got to figure this out, how to measure it, which also comes with its challenges, right? Because you can also run into the same things of, hey, all these kids are leaving and making this much money. Well, why? You know, you know what I mean? But it's just, how do we break down the dichotomy? Which really leads me to the next question is, it seems like everything on this campaign Everything in DPS in general is you're either on this side or you're on this side, right? Um, and I think as a result of it, a lot of trust has been broken. A lot of, you see negative news, all this stuff that when you talk to people, there's trust that's broken in our district. Most, all governmental systems in general, people are losing trust. If you were to get on the board though, what are you gonna do and how do you start to build a real team <coughs> dynamic that allows that board, allows the district as a whole start to build trust and faith and hope in it again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a great question. I mean, and, and personally, I, I think at least I'm, I'm trying to do it now hmm. where I, I'm not a doom and gloom person. Um, I, I think that academically la- the last school year, you know, at places like East, which mm-hmm. I hold very near and dear to my heart, you know, there were some incidents that were not great, yeah. right? You know, having a student murdered outside of the school, you know, having two deans shot by a student who then takes their own life. I mean, those are some really, really horrible stories. Yeah. And so we can decide one of two paths, right? Path number one is we can blame and we can live in a basis of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other path is, you know, w- we can choose optimism and hope, and that's not disregarding mm-hmm. what's happened. It's it's, but it's knowing that we as a school district are strong, mm-hmm. and we have the best teachers mm-hmm. uh, in the country, and we have the best students in the country, and we have the best community in the country, and we are going to come together to beat this, mm-hmm. and. and I think to do that, you've got to assume positive intent with everyone. Mm -hmm. You've also got to 
always remind people that the bones and the structure are good. Hmm. And I believe that. And I think that we need that on the board, yeah. which is just positivity. And it's not blind positivity, but who wants leadership that uses scare tactics <laughs> to get in office? I don't want that. Yeah. I want leadership that inspires me, that, that makes me want to support our schools. You know, the, one of the biggest missed opportunities that I think we've had over the past nine months is why are we encouraging more community members to go in and volunteer in yeah. our schools? Yeah. Why aren't they helping? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one thing to say everything's bad. Okay. Then do something about it. Do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and, and I think that that mentality on the board is going to bring us together. And look, we should have policy differences. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty boring when we don't. But decorum and an understanding of positive intent, those things need to be constant amongst all board members. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that when I get elected, that's going to be one of the reasons why, is mm -hmm. that during an election, which a lot of other people, people I'm running against, chose to tell you how unsafe everything was and to play off of that, I didn't go down that path. Mm. I kept talking relentlessly about the positivity and the hope that mm. we can bring our public schools. Yeah. I mean, it is an interesting thing too, because, you know, one of the things we found through those research projects was like principals saying, hey, I want to build community here. I can only do that if like our people come back and, and show it. We're struggling to find them. We're struggling to stay engaged with them. Counselors saying like, hey, like we, I know that there's more career paths. I want to help them, but I'm tapped out. Like, I don't know. I don't have all these networks and all these different industries. I would love for people to come back. Students are saying, hey, can people come, <laughs> come and talk to me? And even us in trying to build it, like, we were surprised by how many alumni was like, yeah, I've been looking for a way to get back involved. I just didn't want to deal with all the, the craziness. Like, I just want to go and help students. I want to help my school. I want to help my alma mater. And like, there's some times where it's hard as a, like as a community organization to figure out, okay, what's the end there? Like, how do you actually build partnership with a governmental system, a bureaucratic system from a community lens to start to drive change without being the person that's just, I always say it as well, like my pop says, don't throw stones without having a brick to lay, right? How would you, should you get into this space? Like, how do you start to open the door? How do you, how do you create real strong partnership with communities and community organizations to where it doesn't seem like a fight, rather it seems like a partnership in a real way? It's a great question. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example of how I prevent myself from having daily panic attacks on a campaign, which is we don't give enough credit to just progress. Hmm. I think we let perfection and, you know, making everything out to be perfect mm -hmm. really impede no. tremendous improvement. And so what I have to do, honestly, is if I think of all the things I got to do mm -hmm. for this campaigning, we got to get out the vote, we got to raise money, we got to put together policy, we got to get endorsements. Yep. It's overwhelming. Yep. And what you have to do is is every day you've got to focus on two or three things and you mm -hmm. got to just, and they're small things. Yep. Got I got to go on this amazing podcast, <laughs> right? And, and talk and, 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 then what you got to do is you've got to look back. Hmm. And if you've accomplished those small things, they start building to really monumental things yep. and change the mentality. So, you know, unfortunately, 
we, we're not going to get to 100% graduation rate. Yep. But you know what? When I was in Denver Public Schools, we were at like 46%, mm-hmm. right? And, and we're a lot higher now. And That's so, crazy, 46%. It's crazy. And so it, is it perfect? It's not perfect. Like we're still losing one out of every four of our students. Yeah. But we're better than we were, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that that's the mentality. Mm-hmm. You've got to focus on progress and really reward it when you lump everything together. Yeah. I mean, and then even like graduation too, back to the inputs, outputs kind of conversation, what we see is like, all right, cool. We got a high graduation rate. All right, cool. But we also built a system where the incentive is just to push kids through to graduation because we know that that's our number. It's true. And it's just like, how do we get to the real you feel what i mean see i so i so i think it's a progression right so for example agreed we you know if, if step one or step zero is like okay not enough students are graduating mm-hmm. step one is let's increase the number of students who are graduating great now you i think you're 100 percent right you know we, we got these folks graduating for graduating's sake mm-hmm. but guess what step two is like now they've created a culture where everyone knows you've got to graduate. Yep. How do we have the right educational curriculum mm. for these people who are now determined and normalized to graduating <laughs> to where they get the right opportunities? The next step. Yeah. And so like it's, that's, that's the, the next step. Yeah. That's the same exact thing. You talk about fear. Like, you know, we've we've been saying, okay, we need to expand pathways, we need to do X, Y, and Z. Some people hear that and automatically feel afraid, like we're saying no college. And we're like, no, nah, we're not saying that. We're saying before step one was graduate from high school. Let's get people to graduate. Then it was let's get kids into college. And then now you start to see a lot of efforts of how do you get kids to finish college. We're just saying the next natural progressive step in this, whatever in this line, is saying, okay, cool. Let's make sure whatever they do when they leave high school or college is they land in a job where they can take care of their families. That seems to be the next step, but it doesn't always have to be taking away from the things that have happened before. You know what I mean? And I don't know how, I don't know if it's a human nature thing or or what, but there seems to be this like protectionist defensiveness going on to where we are looking for leaders that's, that'll say, okay, cool, let's, let's move forward in the future and that doesn't have to be a scary, or it's going to be scary and that's cool. You know what I mean? Um, totally. I know you know, I think that, I, I think that I understand why, you know, at the 2000s, we wanted everyone to go to college because mm-hmm. we, we were coming from a generation in which a college education meant certain things. Yeah. And, and like all things in time, it's evolved. Yeah, things change. And so at the same time, we don't want you know, we understand that there's disparate impact. We mm-hmm. understand that there's, a, that there's unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. And we don't want people feeling comfortable telling our black and Latino kids, you don't need to go to college. For real, yeah. So it's it's, it's like all things. It's somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. With everything. Going back to somewhere in the middle, one, <laughs> one of the things we had to do, and, you know, I want to talk to you about your time on the campaign for mayor as well, but one of the biggest things we had to do in the forum that you attended that we did with Transform Education Now is like, we had to try to take time to help people understand what the mayor actually has control over when it came to the district. And we're seeing a similar kind of thing happen with the school board around people not being 100% clear on what the role of the school board is. You feel what I mean? From your perspective, what is the role to find that for us of the school board? 
And then two is like, what are some of the misconceptions that you've heard while on the campaign trail around what the school board actually has control over? Right. So, so I think there are two big buckets. The first bucket is sort of like what the um, tactical job description is, mm -hmm. which is, you know, you have to evaluate, mm -hmm. uh, hire, and hopefully not, but fire the superintendent. Um, you have to manage the budget. You have mm -hmm. to control the vision, right? And you have to both set and understand the metrics to know if we are moving in the right direction or the wrong direction towards that vision. Mm -hmm. Those are the tactical things. You know, the second thing, though, is this is a community or democratically elected role. Mm. And where I, you know, feel, I think, different than, the, than some of the school board members is you got to be accountable to the community. Mm. And sure, you know, I don't think, for example, that school board members should be involved in operations. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think it's appropriate if you know, your community's telling you that we can't close schools when it's 103 degrees outside on a whim because people don't have childcare. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we're putting ourselves in a situation where, you know, we've got really young kids who are abandoned. Mm -hmm. I think it's the role of the school board to hear that mm. and to understand that and to process that because we are democratically elected. If you go to, you know, the DPS headquarters, there are actually not roles for people to understand community because that's the school board. Yeah. So I think that there are your sort of like written down responsibilities, but I think a real big one is like being accessible to your community Yeah. and not really saying, Hey, that's not under my purview because yeah. if, a, if the community feels strongly about it and your community elected, then it is your purview. Yeah. That's what you're responsible for. And I think that's the hard thing. Like we've been hearing about policy governance. We've been hearing about all this stuff. My, my question continuously is like, all right, then cool. As Teray, as myself, and I'm hearing X, Y, and Z from students on a consistent basis, then who do you go to? Right. Or when that mom is upset, who does she go to if it's not their democratically elected school? Couldn't board? agree more. And then at the same time, on the flip side, we're having conversations saying, all right, if you're going to advocate and you're going to make noise, make sure you're making noise to the right person. It don't it don't make you no difference to yell at the, you know, the attendant at the restaurant who doesn't make those certain decisions over the prices. You feel what I'm saying? Like how do you how do we build it to where it's clear where to go and how to actually make change on a day-to-day -day basis and it would be helpful if we we knew how to engage with the school board in that capacity. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, whenever you uh <laughs> Whenever you hear the often used, I want to speak to your manager. <laughs> well, the, the board of directors is the manager, the manager, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I think it's a totally fair thing for people to reach out to the school board when they think that things aren't happening, even if the school board is employing policy governance, which mm -hmm. gives all the operational control to the superintendent. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, you know, if I were a superintendent, I'd want to mm -hmm. understand what the community was saying through the school board. Hmm. There right? should be a natural partnership. There. I would hope so. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. Okay. What are some things you've learned from the community, both in your time during the mayoral race and your time now? Because I know you made that you made that shift, but what are some things that surprised you that, as you started talking to people on the ground? 
You know, I, I think that the system is producing illogical outcomes. So I, you know, you said illogical, illogical or outcomes, okay. you know, so look, I, I went to business school. I'm a capitalist. Yeah. Uh, I believe in, in markets, but it is illogical that in the city and county of Denver, it is too unaffordable mm -hmm. for our teachers, our paraprofessionals, our janitors, our cafeteria workers to live <laughs> in the city mm -hmm. that they make great. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me. Yeah. And that there's not an easy way for them, if they don't live near their schools, to get there. And I'm talking mm -hmm. about like mass transit. That's illogical to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it was illogical to me that like firefighters can't live in a city that they help make safe. And so that's the biggest thing hmm. is that, you know, if we're just going to keep allowing things to play out the way that they play out, we're we're not going to produce the right outcomes. And yeah. so we have to think boldly and we have to start transforming our views. So I view Denver public schools as an anchor institution. Mm -hmm. Yes. Top priority is educating its students, but let's think about how you do that. Mm -hmm. I believe the best way to support our students is to support our educators. Mm -hmm. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, suddenly you support educators by ensuring that they have housing. Mm -hmm. And so I think Denver Public Schools should be using its land, it should be using its connections hmm. to build educator housing. And I'm not talking about dorm rooms, I'm mm -hmm. talking about dignified housing for teachers and for teachers who have families. Yeah. I think that's what the community is looking for right mm -hmm. now. It's looking for either our city government or our schools to step in and to say, hey, we, we've got to make some drastic changes because if we just keep going along this path or we're just letting housing appreciate and let all these other things occur, we're going to lose our city. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I'm hearing loud and clearly. The other thing I'm hearing, though, is that people want to be inspired. People want yeah. to believe that we are headed in the right direction. A, a corny line I use from the dark night is that the night is darkest before the dawn. Mm -hmm. People want to believe that. Hmm. And I think those are the two biggest takeaways I've gotten. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we've heard it too. It's like it, one thing that's always interesting to me is how many people just assume the way things are is just how they're going to be. Right. You feel what I mean? Totally. And, and I think a lot of that is because if I'm being real, like our educational system, it's always been about do what you can with what, the thing is, right? Like there hasn't been a lot of, here's how you like promote and demonstrate agency in your own life. Like, all right, well, cool, I'm here. This is how life is. I'm gonna figure out how to deal with it. A lot of the learning that we have in Edmium is saying like, nah, actually like all this stuff that you take for granted, some somebody just made a decision that led to this. You know what I mean? You actually have the authority. You have the ability to make, to, to change things and the people you elect and voting, which is part of the reason why we're doing this podcast now have a huge impact on that, you know what I mean? And so it's like, can we build a leadership within our city that says, hey, yeah, we can make something happen, we can actually make a change, we don't have to just assume that this thing is what it is. Now, does the school board have the authority, like how does how does you being on the school board, how do you leverage that to get those, some of those ideas you have like housing? Yeah, great question. So <clears throat> the, the, the way that a school board would influence it, right? is a few ways. The first is we could require or we could have an ends goal mm -hmm. 
that essentially says that Denver public school teachers need to be the highest compensated in the region. Hmm. We could say that. And we could say to the superintendent, we are going to hold you accountable to doing that. Hmm. The way that the board could then do it is they could have a theory of the case as to what they viewed as compensation. Hmm. So, you know, one of the reasons why I like housing is, you know, if, if a market rental is 2000 and let's say we offer you subsidized housing that is 500 bucks a month. Well, every month you are saving $1,500, yeah. right? That's 18 grand a year yeah. in increased compensation the way that you view it, right? Yeah. Who would foot that bill? So the, the way that you would do housing is you'd say, okay, so, you know, the, the, the school board could, um, in either consolidating of schools or yeah. how we think about land, we could give the approval to lease that land, not sell it, mm. but lease it to not-for-profit developers. Mm. Those not-for-profit developers could then work with um, organizations who get tax write-offs, actually, yeah. for giving money yeah. to those not-for-profit developers, and they could build housing. Mm. And then the remaining cost associated with that housing, that's what you'd have for rent for yeah. teachers, right? Yeah. And no group in this process would be, um, would be uh, profiting off of this, hmm. right? And you could collaborate with, for example, like the teachers union on who gets that housing and what are the rules of the road? You know, you've oh. seen these community agreements that didn't get the Park Hill Golf Course over the yeah. over the hump, but they had a pretty interesting community agreement there. You're seeing this with Ball Arena right now, hmm. you know, and the adjacent communities where they're coming together and they're saying, hey, we're going to do this thing. Nope. Let's talk about the rules of the road. We want you to actively be involved and in many ways negotiate with this process. So that's the step. Yeah. And so the board can articulate that vision. Yeah. Right, they can put in guardrails that the superintendent needs to um, that the superintendent needs to acquiesce, and they can monitor performance. Hmm. Now, there's some really key things here that I've not mentioned. I've not proposed the exact sites. Yeah, I haven't even necessarily said how many units, mm -hmm. the types of units. <laughs> right, though that starts getting into an operational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as like, no, 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 Denver Public Schools is going to lead yep. and be a visionary around creating teacher housing in an urban environment that yep. is entirely within the purview of the board to mandate that happen. Which makes sense. So you set, you set the vision, you set the strategy, you Correct. set the guardrails, and then hopefully you put in place a leadership within the district to actually make it happen. Correct. Yep. And then you're accountable to your community as to whether or not it's happening. Correct. Yes or no. And then you know you find the the the, the metrics that sort of show yeah. that teachers are the highest paid in the region. Now you know if that's your goal, and the superintendent you know can say, hey, I, I can do this other ways, then you're fine with that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of where there's a line of like, here's the vision, here's the operations. Yeah. And that's the split. Yep. I mean, that's the role of the board and nonprofit organization. Correct. That's the role of the board everywhere else. You feel what I'm saying? It's which, like, which to be clear, you know, is 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 an advantage I think I have because I've served on both private and not-for-profit boards, yeah. right? And so I've also been a CEO. And yeah. so I understand that, you know, you want a board that is supportive. You want a board that that forces you to have a vision, but also a board that lets you Go do, do your thing. thing. Yeah, for real. Um, and I think that's what we've got to do on our school board. Yeah.
shifting gears a little bit, when's the last time you changed your mind about something? What led to it? Oh, I change my mind all the time. Give me an example. Um, SROs. Hmm. You know, I, I I went into it thinking SROs all the time into perpetuity. I don't believe that anymore. Hmm. Um, I, I've seen the data on the black and brown prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to folks about you know, how SROs can and should be used. And I've gone into communities and, and, you know, I've observed some firsthand. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm anti-police. It doesn't mean I'm anti-SRO. What it means is that the way that I think the average person thinks that or or views why we should have SROs is like 1% of their job, Hmm. right? Hmm. And and how do we take that other ninety nine percent and evolve it into being a really collaborative part of the school and the community? And yeah. that should be how we're assessing the SROs. Yeah. And I'm I, I believe I'm the only candidate in the race that has said by the end of my first term, we are going to have a plan that gets all guns hmm. out of our schools and really transforms what we think about the way that we use SROs today into what I think people would more commonly associate with the community resource officer. Yeah. Because I think that's the right answer. And that's not something I would have maybe said nine months ago. Yeah. You know what? This, it's interesting. I've asked every candidate that question. It seems like SRO pops up. And I've I've noticed people starting off on opposite sides of that conversation to kind of come to that general, like, all right, maybe the question isn't yes or no SROs. The question is like, what is the actual core functionality of an SRO within our schools? You feel what I mean? And, 100%. And that's one of those things where I don't know if it's just time and it's like natural human nature for us to like find these sides and like get into our tribes right away. But it seems that like more and more of the times you, the more and more you talk to folks, the more and more it's, well, yeah, like how, what are they supposed to be doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, and he, and here's, here's the, uh, I don't know if it's positive, but it's funny, right? I think one of the great things America has going for it, actually, is checks and balances and the fact that we have a diverse population who who wants different things. And you naturally have a situation where it's like 48% want something, 48% Mm -hmm. wants the other, and then 4% decide (laughs) which they're going to go towards. And and I think that naturally happens where you got to find yourself on one side or the other. People then recognize that. They then rock with you, and then you're yeah. f- focusing on those 4%. Yeah, all the time. How do you broaden that 4%? Um, you know, you, you, you support candidates like me who are in the <laughs> middle. No, I, it's tough. It really is tough yeah, beca- yeah. because there there are built-in infrastructures. Yep. Right? So play it at its highest level, right, of just sort of being a Republican or Democrat, yep. right? It's incredibly hard mm-hmm. to branch out of that just because of the not just path dependency, but of the infrastructure, the money, yeah, all the of those things yeah. that are in place. It's the same in education, unfortunately. Yeah. Right? You've yeah. got two sides. That's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast. Good. I mean, trying to bring like tangible things to the table. Like one of the things we found was when we did the financial literacy and cultural and ethnic studies, when you talk to when you talk to real people. They came to the same conclusion, but for different reasons, right? So we would talk to a lot of like conservative side, made sense. We should be teaching our kids about money. We were capitalists. This makes sense to make it happen. And on the other side, on the left side, I was like, yeah, we're talking about helping 
historically underserved populations be able to compete and operate in an equitable way, how are they supposed to do that if they don't learn about money? You feel what I mean? Totally. Even more interesting was the uh, was the cultural and ethnic studies. I was expecting to get more pushback on one side, but nah, it was, hey, we recognize we're operating in a global society. If we want our people to be able to be competitive in that global society, they need to be able to figure out how to interact with different cultures. That was that side's kind of take. The other side was, well, we want to be seen and heard, and I want myself reflected in, in our curriculum. You could kind of get to the middle ground somewhere if you're just willing to talk to both sides. Couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, former school board member, Nate Easley, mm-hmm. <clears throat> puts this very well. He goes, always focus on common ground. Yeah. You know, when you're in a conversation, why are you focusing on what you're disagreeing about? Yeah. Yeah. Seek for what you are agreeing on. Mm. And and view every conversation like that. Yeah. Right. And and I think that's how you do it. And and that's I've really enjoyed employing that, mm. uh, particularly during this race. Yeah, hundred percent. So, why should people vote for you? Oh man! Wow, I thought this wasn't a. Hopefully, you know. <laughs> I'm give you a little bit of a sound bite, You feel me? <laughs> Thirty-five minutes of this. Why? No, listen. I I think I think there are two reasons. Um, the first is every educational organization, with the exception of one that I think is very focused on reform and, and even going as far as privatization of our schools, every other educational organization has endorsed my candidacy. Hmm. And I'm running against someone that if you listen to that podcast, he's going to say he's got 35 years of educational experience. Mm-hmm. And I always leave to whoever I speak to, you got to ask yourself, why are the teachers, the paraprofessionals, the cafeteria workers, the nutritional workers, the American Federation of Teachers, the Colorado Education Association, Mm -hmm. why are all of those folks endorsing my candidacy? And I think it's, I think it's two big reasons. The first is I think what we desperately need right now is optimism. Hmm. And no one believes in our teachers and our students and our district mm. more than I do. Mm. And I know that, that things have happened that, that we are not happy about, but I believe we're going to get better. Mm. I think we're already on path towards that. And I want to show people how amazing our district is. Mm. I want to show people how awesome our teachers are. Mm. I think at the second, and the second reason is that I have a, a, a real good mix of being an insider and an outsider. As an insider, I went through our public school system as mm-hmm. a black male. Mm-hmm. I'm the son of a teacher who's still at Denver Public Schools. My dinner table conversations when I have them with my mom are about education. Mm. At the same time, I'm an outsider. Yeah. I'm going to question some of the existing things that we do. I'm going to start saying, if you really want to compensate our teachers, give them housing. Yeah. Yeah. And we need that. Yeah. We, we need a fresh perspective from someone who understands our district and is always going to be optimistic. And I think if you put those things together, that's why I'm getting their endorsements. And I think it's why our campaign is really resonating with the public right now. Hmm. Appreciate it. Anything else you want to make sure the world knows about Kwame that they might not be able to get either from this conversation or the rest of your I, I want to thank you for doing this. I appreciate you. And I appreciate for I appreciate anyone who's taken the time to learn more about candidates and to listen. And and we need more of that. Yeah. So cool. thank you. Appreciate you being here, man. Peace.